right, we've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn a simple money trick to help you stop overspending on impulse buys, the big five traits that make up your personality, and we'll answer a listener question about the population of the world. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Cody, how bad are you with like impulse purchases? Oh boy, it depends. I'm not like a candy bar at the checkout line kind of person. Sure. But if I'm out anywhere in the universe and there's coffee nearby, I'm just going to buy it. I'm actually kind of bad with online shopping. Like I find that when I'm under stress or have some anxiety about something, I am on an online shop and looking for things. And it's weird. Like sometimes, and I love to just like put stuff in my cart and then just suddenly my my self-control kicks back into gear and I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy these things. And then I'll get back on task. But like that's sometimes my stress relief. You know, sometimes if you fill your cart on a website and then you just leave it for a while, they'll send you a coupon after a week or two. <gasps> I've heard that. Yeah. Yes. It hasn't happened to me. But yeah. Oh, we see you. Uh, we're going to buy this. Maybe you'll buy it if we give you 10 yeah. bucks off. Well, then you just see it on the ads everywhere you go on uh, the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a new study from Rice University found a trick to stop unnecessary overspending on impulse buys. But why is that a big deal, though? Right. Like, am I hurting anybody by buying a few things I don't need? How much do people actually spend on impulse buys? Well, a 2018 survey showed that Americans spend an average of $450 a month on impulse buys. That is more than 5,000 bucks a year and more than $300,000 over the course of a lifetime. Oh, boy. That is so much. That's too much. So to stop this overspending, researchers have one piece of advice. Think of all the stuff you already have. Think about functional possessions you've used lately, like blow dryers, food processors, clothes steamers, you know, stuff like that. Coffee makers. Yeah. Thinking about what you already have can calm you down and reduce your impulsiveness by about 14%. So before you're tempted by that super cool and slightly random thing you probably don't need, just take two seconds to think about the junk filling your home. The urge to splurge will die down soon enough. And if you're looking for quality talents for your next hire, then we've got the perfect sponsor to help you avoid overspending on your candidate search. Today's episode is sponsored by LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. You might not have realized this, but LinkedIn is an incredible place to find quality talent. If you're not using LinkedIn, then you're missing out. Every hire matters, so don't settle for posting a job and just hoping the right person will find you somehow and apply. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. And when it comes to delivering quality candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards. Think about your company's job boards. How often do you check them, let alone anybody else? Then there's LinkedIn, where 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs every week, in every industry, even yours and mine. When you're looking to fill a position, LinkedIn takes potential candidates and looks at their skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your job to the right professionals. Before you look for your next hire, visit linkedin.com curiosity and get $50 off your first job post. That's right. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com curiosity. One more time, visit linkedin.com curiosity to get $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Ashley, what's your personality type? Wet blanket. <laughs> I hate personality stuff. I hate it. <laughs> what's your What's your BuzzFeed Harry Potter <laughs> quiz personality? I'm well. I'm I'm also I'm a Ravenclaw for sure. But still, <laughs> it's stupid. Well, there are indeed too many quizzes and quote unquote personality tests out there that are not really backed up by any science whatsoever. So today we're going to give you a refresher on the big five personality traits. You can remember them with the acronym OCEAN. That stands for openness, conscientiousness, 
extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Some of those are objectively good and others not so much. Some psychologists have proposed a sixth trait they call honesty humility. That's basically your willingness to tell the truth and act selflessly or on the low end, your willingness to lie, cheat, and steal. They call that version the Hexaco model because they changed a couple of the words to make another acronym and scientists love acronyms. Scientists absolutely love acronyms. So much. <laughs> but even without that sixth trait, the five pillar model can be really precise. Even if you only use five levels of each of the big five traits, there would still be more than 3,000 unique categories. And there are more than just five levels of each trait. We've got links in the show notes to take an online test to determine your personality, plus a link to sign up for the Great Courses Plus if you want to really dig deep into this psychology tool. And just so you know, there are two versions of this test. One is 300 points, but that can take up to 40 minutes to take. And the psychology professor who put together the site warns that sometimes the website crashes. Oh, no. Yeah. So you don't want to lose 40 minutes. But there is fortunately a 120-point test that should only take about 10 to 15 minutes. Give it a shot and let us know if you learned something new about yourself. You can always email us at podcastcuriosity.com. I've taken the test myself. It was, it was actually pretty cool. Did you learn about yourself? I did. And it's better than stupid Myers-Briggs, which Whoa. we have taken apart on curiosity.com. Absolutely. Savage. Yeah. We're going to do something a little different today and wrap up with a listener question because we've been getting so many listener questions. We can't just answer them on Sundays. This question comes from Francois Berger and he writes... I'm listening to you guys on Apple Podcasts all the way from sunny South Africa. Amazing. How about a podcast on the world population? Is it growing or shrinking? Thanks for your question, Francois, and shout out to our listeners in South Africa. Also, shout out to people listening on Apple Podcasts, which he mentioned, who have left us a five-star review. That's super helpful, and we really appreciate it. We haven't gotten any cool reviews lately, so hop on Apple Podcasts and let everybody know what you think of our show. Anyway, Ashley, you're the expert, so what's up with the world population? Yeah, I love this question because every so often there's an article that I will write for Curiosity.com that completely changes the way I see the world, and this was one of them. Nice. So we can actually look to history for some answers. According to experts, improving world health and wealth will actually slow population growth. So there's a thing called the demographic transition model, and that came from years of research into historical growth rates. This model has five stages. In stage one, birth rates and death rates are both high, and population stays pretty consistent. That was most of the world before the Industrial Revolution. Then in stage two, death rates go down thanks to medical advancements, but birth rates stay high. That leads to rapid population growth, and you see that in lots of the world's least developed countries right now. In stage three, birth rates gradually go down alongside increases in wealth, women's status, and contraception access. That's where most developing countries are today. In stage four, birth and death rates both plateau at a low rate and the population stabilizes. These countries tend to have better economies, healthcare, and levels of education. Most developed countries are in this stage. And stage five is a theoretical stage. That is when births fall below the rate needed to make up for the death rate and the elderly outnumber the young. No country has reached this stage, but experts fear that some are close. According to PopulationEducation.org, potential examples of stage five countries include Germany, Greece, Japan, Portugal, and Ukraine, but time will tell. So to answer your original question, we could see the world's population decrease if we work to lift all boats with the rising tide of nutrition, medicine, and economic growth. But right now, it is definitely growing. It's just that estimates on how quickly it's growing or whether growth is slowing down or speeding up depends on who you ask right now. We'll put a link in the show notes to an article with more information, but I hope that helps answer your question. And you can join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. 
on the Westwood One Podcast Network.